I'm a weather nerd. I mean, like, yes, she I, is. She she's really good at warning us when snowstorms are coming, <laughs> thunderstorms and rains, ecumenity. Ecumenity. That's right. I just call her our weather that's, nerd. That's that's why she has the green wall in her office with the weather forecast. I do need one. Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes. Sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. In this episode, we are talking weather. Kim and Melody sit down with Matt Belcher to talk about the different ways you can protect your home from the elements and natural disasters where you live. Then, we talk with local weatherman Scott Connell about changing weather trends and relevant products to consider when building your custom home. Enjoy. If you're listening to the show, you might know that our home offices are located in St. Louis, Missouri. And if you spent any time in the city, you know that one of the main questions you're always asked is, what high school did you go to? Yes. <laughs> and uh, what's the second most important question, Melody? You'll hear the phrase. So it's more a phrase if, than yeah. a question. Okay. If you don't like the weather now, just wait a couple minutes. I hear that probably once a week. It is so true. And I think another phrase you're going to hear a lot is, the weathermen, they just don't know how to forecast. But it's extremely Extremely difficult here because we have the convergence of a couple of main bodies of water, the Mississippi River, the Missouri River. We have the Merrimack River. We have a lot going on in this area, and it's very difficult. But think about it. Out in Utah, we're also building. Um, We have the mountain range, the Wasatch Range, that's a part of northern Utah. We have the Great Salt Lake, which is being affected by the current drought. And because of the, the lowering water levels, it's truly affecting all weather patterns in and around the Great Salt Lake area as well. So weather plays a very important role in everyone's life. That's important to note when you're looking for a builder too, that they understand the area where they're building because of the changes in climate when you go from spot to spot too. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why many of our clients who are coming to us are not just thinking about the aesthetics or the floor plan or the really cool exterior that they can design, but we do have a lot of clients who are coming to us and and want to prepare for and plan for severe weather. Well, and as a matter of fact, we're going to talk to Matt Belcher in a minute. Um, He helped us with the Active House. And the Active House was built here for the specific reason that we do get such mixed weather. You have to prepare for just about everything here in St. Louis. So. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt is a Matt is not only a friend of the show, but he's an extremely knowledgeable builder. In fact, I met Matt 17 years ago now, and one of the things that attracted me to him was the fact that he built homes the right way. In other words, he wanted to make sure that not only were they efficient, but they were also durable and protected from a lot of the elements. So we did have a a chance to sit down with Matt uh, recently. And let me just say this, Matt is one who has a flair for breaking down some very complex topics. Matt, good to see you again. I know we had you on episode number two where we were talking about high-performing homes, Mm -hmm. but you also were involved not that long ago with a very interesting project here in the Midwest after a tornado blew through. Mm -hmm. One of the things we're talking about on on this particular episode is the design principles and how we're designing homes 
to stay safe during different types of weather issues. And so, first of all, welcome back and, and share with us the experience that you had not that long ago with the small community close to the St. Louis area. Well, thank you for having me again. Uh, like I said, last time I always enjoy it. Yeah, this is a unique topic. As we said in the last episode I was on, you know, we're in an area that we have to build to, you know, higher winds with tornadoes and and we're on the New Madrid seismic zone. And so, you know, we have to be a little bit more diligent about how we build. Our codes are a little stronger. But you still have those events, and there's a lot, most obviously, of the country um, was not built to that. And even sometimes when they are, you know, you get a direct hit with a F5 tornado, and, and it's going to do a lot of damage. So, uh, But understanding that, you know, mitigating the exposure for for uh, injury or, or worse is, is key to that point, too. So, yeah, I was involved... Um, uh, several years ago, first of all, when the tornado went through uh, Greensburg, Kansas, and pretty much destroyed the I was going to say, it was a direct hit. Yeah, it was a direct hit, and it, it literally ran catty corner across that town, a mile wide, and just total destruction. All the mature trees were about 12 feet tall and sheared off. So helping to, to work on planning to rebuild, and they were way out there, uh, obviously. Uh, it was hard to get a workforce out there, hard to get materials out there. Luckily, they had uh, you know good interstate and good rail uh, to them. So, and this has been a number of years ago, of course. And, and offsite construction wasn't as predominant back then, but we still recommended that they bring in panelized systems and and to get some shelter up a little bit quicker. So, uh, and of course, Joplin, Missouri, uh, mm-hmm. happened a number of years ago, and it was quite similar: the path of damage and the destruction and and so on. Joplin itself had building codes, and they were looking at, of course, updating the building codes and going in and building tornado-resistant homes. You know, when you have an instance like that, just as in Greensburg, Kansas, you know, you have a lot of people that are either uninsured or maybe have no insurance. So it's not just an you know, something you can go in and rebuild, much less rebuild at a higher cost. FEMA takes a long time to get dollars into those markets. So... Uh, just looking at, at changing codes, uh, you know, a lot of times what that might do is just drive everybody out to the outskirts of town where there is no code, and then they'll go back and build not necessarily code home, even a code uh, there. And then then you have the transportation issues there and the whole nine yards. So, uh, And we, we learn from those, though, right? We, we, Every, we try to learn from those and improve the way we're building our homes and, and our office buildings and, yes, and yeah. all. And they've, you know, they've driven codes. You know, the insurance companies, of course, are involved with codes, and uh, the building code has really increased the resilience of buildings in the last 10 years. And it's, it's getting more effective as, as we look at the storm damage and the cyclical nature and, you know, the technology and even the materials. Uh, Simpson the company that makes all the joist hangers and metal ties and things like that, you know, they manufacture great products to just make those homes. Even you can go back and retrofit existing buildings and make them more resilient too. So, uh, you know, we can do a lot better job, a lot easier and cost effective than we could 10 years ago to do that. 
And good practices go a long way for that, too. And it varies in different parts of the country. Yes. For example, some are more prone to fire. Some are more prone to yes. heavy snow and snow load or, load or wind or hurricanes or whatever. So we have different building zones around the country. In St. Louis, building zone four, you've talked about how difficult it is to build here for a variety of reasons. But those factors are taken into account all over the country yeah. when builders are thinking about, okay, what's the best way to build this home in this particular environment? That's correct. And, you know, out, out in Utah where you're at, you know, wildfires. Wildfires, are yeah. You know, we live out now an hour and a half or so west of here on in a place called Jake Prairie, which is not on the map, by the way, so don't – on purpose. <laughs> so, in other words, don't come visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's not there on purpose. Uh, but, you know, wildfire, we're getting ready to build our empty nester special. And, you know, it's going to be a net zero ready home, but we have to worry about uh, wildfire on the prairie out there. You know, it's – if there's a guy sitting in the fire truck up in Owensville, it's still going to take him more than 20 minutes to get to us. That's all stuff to consider. Since we've been there, we've had two tornadoes that have gone just south of us. A couple of them hit, hit the St. Louis area. You know, those sorts of things, you know, they obviously with our practices and what we do are kind of naturally occurring to us to build to that. But, you know, this is this is real world, real stuff. You know, you we use fiber cement siding or masonry products or things like that that are uh, not only resilient from a wind standpoint, but also from fire and, th- and other external things. And, and real quick, you say it's not necessarily the wind in some tornadoes. Right. It's the projectiles that, that are created because of the wind and that type of thing. That's, that's absolutely it. I mean, you know, we now have to build to 115 miles per hour wind speed, but that's a straight line wind. Now, the code in the last iteration has taken into account wind from two different directions, which is more of a tornadic type wind. But, you know, we build, again, resilient envelopes of the building. So they're strong. They'll, they'll take that wind. But then you have shrapnel. You know, your home may be built to all these standards. You know, it's, it's got the wind resistance and seismic resistance. But the house next door completely comes apart in a tornado and all that stuff becomes shrapnel. So, you know, you have to worry about that's why the resilient uh, envelopes and what you put on that house is important. And also just the uh, material damage that's caused. Uh, We had the tornado went through Edwardsville last year, which is one of the ones that went south of us, by the way, a a while back. Uh, Building there, an Amazon distribution center building that was hit dead on. I mean, just about went in the front door of that building and did a lot of damage to it through some of our prior projects. A reporter with Huffington Post still had my number in his Rolodex, I guess, and he reached out to me to talk about the damage there. It was a tilt-up constructed building. Typical people that aren't involved with the industry think, well, they just slam those buildings up. They go up quickly, but they're engineered to go up quickly, and they're engineered to be resilient. But, it just so happens the, the, the wall panels are produced off-site, in many cases, brought yeah. in and tilted up. Yeah. It's a quicker construction, just like we do with SIPS panels that, or that's things correct. like that. So it, it's not an inferior building method. No. It's different. It just goes up more quickly, and it yeah. is engineered. And, and it is engineered, and you know all the connections are made and things like that. And so you know there's been talk, in the, and I'm still involved with code development, and there's a lot of talk about, well, do we need to make those buildings more hardened? Or, you know, the barometric pressure is a big thing with tornadoes. You know, you, you create such a negative pressure on the outside that the pressure on the inside just wants to, you know, explode that building instead of implode it. So uh, 
that uh, sort of thing is somewhat engineered, but it's not codified. It's not put in the code. But even if you go to those extreme, you know, every building has to be round and concrete and reinforced steel and things like that. Well, you know, we've designed to the wind and the pressures and things like that. But what if that tornado picks a Volkswagen up out in the parking lot and puts it on the roof? You know, that strike and that that weight and thing. How do you just, you know, design for that? So when you get to paradigms like that, uh, you know, what is the next best thing? You know, our codes are really set up for egress of the building of fire and things like that. Last thing you want to do in a tornado, but, you know, you just go in there and put some hard and safe rooms in there. There's more economical ways to do a better job of life safety and things like that. You know, the amount of building damage, uh, even to that building, it was it was big, but it's not irreparable. But the loss of life, you know, obviously that's beyond tragic. So, uh, you know, there's there's different ways of looking at solving those problems. Well, and one of the things that you, you know, alluded to is you can build your house to, you know, withstand other things. And so, you know, I was wondering, you know, durability mm-hmm. is a huge thing with us. So it's like you may not take a direct hit, you know, that might not be your biggest concern, but, you know, you might not live in a fire zone, but you you, you want the air to be clean if the fire's near you. So that, yeah. I mean, that's a huge piece of the puzzle too, don't you think? Absolutely. And it, it you know, really, that's kind of what you're building to. You know, you may not have, you know, wildfire situation. You may have something like that in Utah, possibly with the mountains and, but, you know, here in town, as we call it, <laughs> from Jake Perry, um, you know, you may have, uh, you know, issues on your street. You may have a house fire. You may have, you know, something in a high wind situation where a, a fire wants to travel. So, first of all, the homes that we're all building are resilient, uh, so they don't take as much the cost of maintenance and time and things like that because they're more resilient. But also, they're resilient from a resiliency standpoint. They will provide safe shelter, or at least the opportunity for you to get in a safe position, or uh, they'll certainly be more resilient to those types of external uh, issues. Well, and I was thinking about, we were up in the Rockies whenever um, there was the big Cameron Peak fire. And a lot of those homes up there don't have AC. You know, it's just, you're up in the mountains and it's cool. And it was, I mean, all of us were waking up just uh, so congested just from the smoke. I mean, we weren't directly impacted by the fire, but even here in St. Louis, you could see changes in sunset and sunrise just from the smoke from absolutely. those fires all the way yeah. across the country. Yeah. And so absolutely. And and even here, I mean, St. Louis is notorious with our indoor air quality. You see the little signs on the highways, you know, today's oh, yes. air quality is yellow. And, and that's uh, why we focus on indoor air quality. Ab- it's absolutely. So and you know, all of us know somebody with severe allergies mm-hmm. and things like that. And in the just the comfort level that they get out of these types of homes. And they don't even realize it until you get into that conversation. Um, you know, we had a home we built for the Coons, and they had mm-hmm. a child with respiratory sensitivities. They were moving up here from Texas, yes. and that, that was a big it, concern of theirs. It, it was. And, you know, once we explained to them, well, we could build to that. You know, we told them instead of just selecting all your materials and us building them and you moving in, and if there's a reaction, then we have to do all kinds of forensics to find out what's causing that. Well, we'll just take a sample of everything we're going to put in their room or their finish and just expose it to them slowly. And if they have a reaction to that, we just won't use it. We'll use something else. Man, that's a heck of a lot better. And 
and I'll tell you, it's... Uh, that's something you won't get with the production builder either. Oh, no. So no, just had to it, and plug You there. also get squeaky fool. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and we were talking about addressing that, and of course, Mama Bear was like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're, yeah, we're doing this. I, I think I could have shoved a contract in front of her. She would have signed it before we put a number on it, but, you know, facetiously. It, but, you know, it really is... Uh, a thing, and a lot more people are affected by that than than even we realize. But um, and as you you know talk about aging in place, you know we build homes and people are going to stay in them, and your situations change with your health. Um, so you know if we can set that up, so even then you're not going to have to go in and put some kind of an air research system in your house and do the surgery and the cost and all that. It's set up naturally to do that, which. First of all, prevents that sort of thing, but also if it if it does happen, you don't have to move or, or remodel. So I'm a weather nerd. I mean, like, yes, she I, is. She <laughs> she's really good at warning us when snowstorms are coming, <laughs> thunderstorms and rain. She does. Everybody ac- in everybody ac- in our office comes back to her. Acumility. Acumility. That's right. <laughs> I just call her our weather that's, nerd. That's that's why she has the green green wall in her office exactly. for the weather forecast. So <laughs> I, I do need one. Um, I, I love seeing, you know, what happens in the path, you know, and all of these things that um, the impact that this weather has on the local landscape. And um, we're talking a lot about inside, but outside, mm-hmm. you know, they're siding, you know, the choice of even siding. I mean, if you're getting older, you don't want to have to replace that 300 times. And yes. so <laughs> what are some of the external materials that um, you recommend for, you know, durability and you know, storm stand well, up. Well, even in some cases, like a good high-quality vinyl siding isn't even all that bad. It holds its finish. But, you know, obviously masonry is big. It gets um, expensive. We want to be honest it, about that. It so. does, but you can, you know, again, good design uh, helps but with But they that. also have stone and brick veneer, which is, which is man-made, which looks very authentic, yeah. and it's much cheaper. Absolutely. We, we do a it, ton of it. But um, it stands up just as well? It does, absolutely. Oh, abs- absolutely. Oh, okay. it's, a, it's a masonry-based product, so it performs mm-hmm. the same, too. We're gotcha. putting that on our house. Mm-hmm. I have you it said, online. You said inexpensive. That's our <laughs> key word. Um, and, you know, fiber cement siding, you know, some of the it's more resilient. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. And, you know, there's composite sidings out there now. Uh, you know, the manufacturers are manufacturing to these these markets and, and these codes. There's even some manufacturers that are kind of beyond that and that's you know as you know i i serve on these code development committees and it is so important i'm such a proponent of leaving flexibility in these codes you know you meet some minimums but then as these these new technologies come along it incentivizes manufacturers to make better stuff and more cost effectively of course but uh you know if you just have this is the minimum code you have to do this that's what they're going to manufacture to. Why do anything else? So. so is it mainly cladding then that has the big impact, or is there anything else you would want to take into consideration? Well, obviously, obviously everything that's that's your your resistance on the outside. You know, your roofing. You know, either metal roofing, shingles. You know, you got fiberglass and and other composite shingles now that that are uh, uh, very resilient. Great conversation. Two takeaways for me that hopefully everybody has learned is that different. Zones around the country require 
um, different codes or, or or different ways to build yeah, and different focuses, different focuses. Issues, exactly, yeah. great way to put that. And so your builder will be building to you know to that zone, to those codes, to those focuses. So just trust your builder there, but also good conversation about exterior cladding materials to use on the outside of the of your structure of your house. You know when you think about safety, we are getting asked though, Matt. A lot of people want to know about what can we do indoors, whether it's a closet, whether it's a bathroom, mm-hmm. whether it's a basement. What are some of the recommendations that you you're seeing for those who want to add a layer of security, maybe inside that house somewhere, storm shelters, things like that. You know, normally if you have a full basement and, and of course here, especially in the St. Louis metropolitan area, uh, you know, we're, we're big on basements because that's our hidey hole if bad storms come. But uh, you know, you can, pour a couple of little additional wing walls in there and when you're pouring your foundation, when you're pouring your foundation or you can even go in and, and really frame something, um, you know, and harden it that way too. After the fact, if it's an existing home, uh, you can do a pantry and a master closet, things like that. So, there's there's opportunities to harden those spots too, and they're relatively inexpensive. Yeah. If you think yeah. about the totality of building a home, be planned ahead. Yeah. Decide what you're going to do because even pouring a couple of extra, as you call them, wing walls during the foundation, that just doesn't add much cost. Exactly. But you want to make sure that you're prepared in case you get trapped in there for a while. So what do you want to think about the you know indoor air quality, HVAC systems, communications? What do you want to think about? Yeah, you know certainly you got to plan on being in there you know it's in the other areas we've been to where there's storm damage you know you got to plan for three days typically um you know you're going to be without power you know so you have to have in there a shelf if you will with uh batteries you want a radio um, a lot of storm shelters have ventilation to them but then you have roof jacks that mm-hmm. circulate air that will pull air down in there but if you're in a fire situation you don't want to pull all that smoke down in there with you. So, uh, you know, you have need to have ways to, to neutralize that. You need to have a door that swings out. If you can have a double hinge door where it swings either direction, because you have to kind of figure that, or I'm sorry, it swings in. If you can have a double hinged, even better. But you have to kind of think that there may be debris out there that would block that door and keep you from getting out. But, um, you know, you're you're looking at about three days of help getting to you, first responders or or somebody like that. And uh, whole house generators, I know that are a lot of them natural gas powered, are becoming yep. very popular. Or propane, propane, yeah, yeah that good point. We're we're doing propane. Um, I think it's worth looking into. I know that I just watching TV, you see more and more commercials where Generac, for example, yeah. I saw just the other day had a very reasonably priced generator. Now. What that doesn't doesn't take into account is you have to have the electrician install it. Mm-hmm. Your you know transfer somebody's got to transfer switch. Somebody's yeah. got to run the gas line or the propane line mm-hmm. to it. So there are added costs. I mean, don't just take a look at you know the commercial which said I think it was nineteen nineteen hundred dollars or something like that. You know there are other costs that come along with it. But think long term because something like that could be a real good option. A lot of our clients are are considering and actually installing those. And really, the the size of the generator just depends on your need. If you mm-hmm. want to just power, you know, your refrigerator and your freezer and some lights. Uh, you know, that's a smaller generator, obviously. If you want to do, you know, your HVAC system or at least your AC or something like that, uh, you know, that's a little larger generator. If you want to do everything, including your hot tub, that's another generator. <laughs> but um, the... Uh, I think the hot tub can wait in an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> that's just me, though. <laughs> I have a, a nice portable generator that I use. 
and it worked great up until you know a few years ago when I started getting a little long in the tooth here. I thought, you know, what's going to happen is I'll be out of town doing something um, when we lose power, and my poor wife will be there all by herself. And although she has plenty of capability to get that thing out and get it going, I don't want to do that. I want something that will come on and, and be safe. So we were doing propane anyway for fireplace and uh, cooktop. Well, we'll just put a little bigger tank in and, and put a decent generator in there. So a few things to think about is the service of that, who's going to service it. You're not going to use it maybe once every three years or so, but you, when you need it, you need it. So you want to service it, can you get parts? You know, right now with the way the world is, can you get parts? Um, and there's different manufacturers out there, so you know, kind of do your own. Caveat emptor applies to buyers of generators. So you'll look, just look at some of those things. You know, when you need it, it's, it's got to be there for you. So, uh, but I'll tell you, the technology is great. Um, it, it's so easy to roll something like that into your mortgage. I mean, you know, say it costs you $4,000, you know, what's, that's, you know, not a couple bucks a month on your mortgage. So uh, it's easy. So Matt, would you be willing to put together a post-storm checklist for our folks? Maybe you don't have do- damage, but if you've, you know, like, what should you do if you do have, you know, a major storm every three years? And what should you look at to make sure that you're ready for the next time? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And, you know, you can go on the FEMA's website. There's okay. a ton of information. The problem is there's a ton of information. So you kind of have to look for things. And it's it's really basic. There's various ways to do safe rooms, uh, depending on your needs. Uh, they always add value to a house, obviously. So the, the investment is there. And then, you know, how to plan for something. Because that's the worst thing is just not planning. And I know I sound like a public service announcement, <laughs> but it's it's incredible the amount of people. When we get a snowstorm, how people panic. Oh, my God, it snowed. Well, they've been saying for a week it's going to snow. So uh, uh, everybody, you know, everybody it, beats you to the bread, milk, and eggs. I'm I, sorry I will say this. One inch of snow around here, you know yeah. what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, what's a foot, it like of, in Utah? A foot of snow in Utah, <laughs> yeah. it, they still laugh at it's that. It's like a cloudy day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you got to take that with a grain of we salt. We were all remote working, and Amy, was uh, our general manager in Utah, was making fun of us yeah. because yes. we, were, yeah. we were all having to work from home. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have vehicles I can get around in it fine and all that sort of thing. It doesn't bother me, but... It's everybody else that's going to crash into my exactly. <laughs> That's what worries me. <laughs> well, Matt, this has been an awesome conversation. Again, thank you so much. Really good information. Good. It's, it's good. just you always make us laugh a little bit. You have some good <laughs> stories, but you really have useful information for that's, our listeners. And, that's good. And we thank you for that. Oh, man, I appreciate the opportunity. It's always good to see you, of course. This podcast is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design, and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella Integrated Roll Screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration. Allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley.
Not sure if everyone knows this, but our producer is an unrepentant weather nerd and really couldn't pass up the opportunity to bring that into the show. And I can see Melody over there smiling right now. In an effort to indulge her just a little bit and temper her crack forecasting, we're going to bring in Scott Connell, who has been with the uh, NBC affiliate in St. Louis, KSDK, for nearly three decades. Scott Connell, very nice to have you join us. Three decades. Can you believe it's been that long? I cannot believe it, Kim. And, you know, and weather in St. Louis is just crazy. We get everything. And, and you, you know how it has been this summer. You know, we've had just about everything. Three decades of forecasting craziness. And it seems like it's getting even crazier. Yeah. And we're learning that Melody is a self-described weather nerd. But a lot of people probably don't realize that I actually, the career before I got into building new homes was in television. And Scott, I had the pleasure of working with you for several years at KSDK and always uh, always enjoyed the, uh, you know, tosses back and forth from the from the news desk to you and um, just always enjoyed that time. And, and I just wanted to say thank you for always being so easy to work with. Well, and and I would say likewise to you. And I'm so proud of your success that, that you're having in, in building homes and not just building homes, but building really nice homes and, you know, looking towards, you know, all the options that are available to make homes safer, more comfortable and efficient. I think that's a really big thing anymore because, you know, energy prices are going up. They're not going to go back down and you need an efficient home for sure. And you really are, are good at doing that. And that's one of the things we do strive is to produce um, and build high performing homes. So I appreciate you, you mentioning that because you're right. I mean, the maintenance of a home, the repairs on a home, the monthly operating costs, those are extremely important to our clients. And that's why we focus on what we do. So when we were bantering back and forth a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned something that I found very interesting. You said that you've actually had to replace your roof a couple of times just because of storm damage over the years. And then you shared to me kind of a little bit of a tip that you said that you actually upgraded the roof shingles because you felt it was worth the investment to have a roof that performed a little bit better in some of the storms. Kim, when you think about it, it's really wind, water, and hail. Those are your main three things that you're concerned with keeping out of your house or preventing you know, damage from. And there's not a lot you can do about hail. You know, it's, it's one of those things when you've got balls of ice falling from the sky, you're at the mercy of wherever they land and how big they are. And we know that hail, once it gets to the size of about quarters, starts causing damage. That's when it starts dinging cars. If it's windblown hail and even larger hail, you know, it can just shred your vinyl siding. And vinyl siding is a, is, you know, it's beautiful on homes. There's so many options for that. But yeah, we had to replace our roof twice. And the second time, of course, the, the home had the standard builder's grade shingles on it, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, that's your flat level basic shingle. And there are other options. And we looked at the other options. It's like, okay, there's shingles that will withstand higher winds. They've got better sealant on that. There are shingles that are thicker, they're better material, and they'll withstand the hail. And so we said, okay, the insurance is paying for this. You know, is it really cost effective to spend a little more for a shingle that's better, that's going to withstand wind? Because we had 70 mile an hour winds. I, I mean, we had water coming through the roof at one point with this. It wasn't that much more expensive 
to upgrade the shingles. And to give you a good example of just how well that paid off, about oh, a year or two later, after the new roof, the second new roof, we had baseball size hail. And so I had the roofer come out, look at it, and he said, you know, your shingles performed really well, and I can't really find any damage up there. They're, they're new. Obviously, as, as they get older, they do get more brittle, so they would be more subject to, to damage. But he couldn't find anything. He said, your shingles, your upgrade was well worth what you put into it. And so that was good. We also had to get siding. The whole house got siding because of hail damage. And we did the same thing with that. We said, okay, so this was the basic thin siding, you know, the, the builder's grade, if you will. What, what other options are there? And there are options with thicker vinyl. Um, you know, you've got steel siding, you've got aluminum side. There's all kinds of options, but there are different thicknesses. Uh, we actually went with a thicker siding, vinyl siding that had the foam backing. So we get a little extra insulation and, you know, that only helps. It, it gives you energy efficiency, a little extra energy efficiency, and it's more resistant to hail. So we went and, you know, we spent a little extra money at the outset, you know, in addition to the insurance kind of having to go over and I think those were investments that were well worth it because it's been holding up extremely well in this crazy Midwest weather that we have. Scott, I'm going to ask you a personal question here because uh, how much longer is your contract at Channel 5? And the reason I ask that is because you could come work for us. You're such a great salesman <laughs> as far as how we build. I mean, seriously, you're talking about durability. You're talking about energy efficiency. You've got a place waiting for you at Hibbs Homes when you're done. How about that? Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I will take that under advisement. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, one real quick thing, and I know Melody has a question. Uh, you're mentioning siding. One of the products that we're using a lot right now in both our Utah and St. Louis markets is a fiber cement product called uh, from James Hardy. So mm -hmm. Scott's absolutely right. A lot of siding options, upgraded siding, much better options than builder grade, but also think about uh, some of the fiber cement products that are out there. The price of siding changes when you get to the vinyl. And a lot of people are actually going with the Hardy, the fiber cement. They have a 15-year. 25-year. Is it 25 mm -hmm. on color, too? Yep. So it's durability from a looks perspective, too. So one of the things that I think maybe a uh, misconception that people have about weather is that it's pretty stable. You know, you have out in Utah where we have one of our offices. It's a really dry heat. Here in Missouri, it's a pretty humid heat. But... What have you noticed over the three decades that you've been looking at these weather patterns? What, what have you noticed with changes in weather patterns here in the Midwest and even on the coasts? Well, you know, I think one of the things we're seeing, and this is something that really came out to play in, in the last month in St. Louis when we had the torrential rainfall. Uh, one of the big things with climate change in the middle part of the country is and, and really for the East Coast too, is you get more heavy rainfall events. And when I say that, I mean the thunderstorms with the drenching rain. We've always had thunderstorms. We've always had downpours. But now our downpours seem to be more um, intense and the rainfall is heavier. And we're finding that the infrastructure is having problems with that. I mean, you know, the, the storm drains are built for, they're designed for a certain type of storm. And we're seeing that storm or storms that are greater than what they're designed for happening more often. And we're seeing flooding because of that. And a lot of flash flooding and a lot of urban flooding 
Um, so I think, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, you know, some changes are going to have to be made. And that's happening really everywhere, but it's especially true in the Midwest. That is our biggest climate change factor that we're going to have to mitigate is those heavy downpours and the frequency that we see them. Now, out West, obviously, you have a massive drought that's ongoing uh, out West. And that is something that is exacerbated. You know, drought begets drought is, is what we have been told. And you've got to plan for the dry climates out there and fire weather. From a James Hardy siding standpoint, because it's cement and fiber, probably has a high fire resistance. And, you know, if you're out west in those dry places, then you're going to want to look at materials to build your home that have much more fire resistance or even fireproof. Um, I've got a friend who uh, lives in Burbank, California, and her family, you know, they live up in the hills in an area very susceptible to wildfires. And they actually have, you know, a, a roof that is fireproof. Their home is brick and they have window coverings that kind of slide down. They just push a button, they're metal. And so they become fireproof or as fireproof as you could possibly be. And so I think you have to consider that in places too. But along the coast, you know, I don't know that we're seeing more hurricanes and I don't know that all of them are stronger. The biggest thing we're seeing is the rapid increase in intensity in storms. Um, at least that's from my perspective. And, you know, I'm not a climate scientist. I, I try to absorb as much information as I can from the climate scientists and, and try to use that information uh, in our forecasting and in our communicating with people on what they need to know. But one of the things we've really seen is hurricanes intensifying just before they hit land. And a lot of that has to do with the upper level winds, but it also has to do with the fact that the water is so warm. And that's a direct result of climate change. The water's averaging much above normal. And that basically is the fuel for your hurricane. Any tropical system has to have, you know, basically bath water to work with. And so you see that along the coast too. And that has big implications uh, if you were building a home, say, in Florida or in Louisiana or in Texas, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, right along the coast. And even inland, then you get the heavy rainfall that you have to deal with. So I don't know that we're seeing more storms per se, but I think we're seeing more intense storms uh, across the board. No matter what kind of storm it is, they seem to be a little more intense. And in a warming world, not even addressing where the warmth comes from, but in a warming world, you would expect more moisture to be available and you would expect more intense storms. And so I think we're, we're seeing that play out. Scott, your comments have been absolutely positively spot on. Melody and I keep looking at each other over our microphones and just smiling because the information you're providing our listeners is probably better than we could have expected. So thank you very much. It actually has prompted two questions for me. And the first one I'm going to start with is you talk about maybe needing to be a little bit better prepared from a standpoint of for, for some of these heavy rains and, and all. And I know that from an engineering standpoint, a lot of attention is being paid in municipalities across the country to stormwater runoff. They're trying right. to help by keeping it on site and letting it naturally dissipate through rain gardens or some sort of a stormwater retention basin that slowly leaches out. Um, but here's my question. I'd be interested in your take on it. 
right now, the engineers only have to plan for a 100-year, in most cases, a 100-year storm. The storm that we had in the Midwest, and in the, in particularly in the St. Louis area not that long ago, was one in a thousand years. So do you think that we need to rethink how we are addressing the engineering side of these, protecting and projecting? I, I think that's a, a very valid concern, honestly. And, you know, when you when you say a one in a hundred year storm, that means that the probability in any year is one in a hundred. It doesn't mean it's going to happen once every 100 years, but that's the probability of it happening in one spot. What we saw in St. Louis when we had, you know, 12 inches of rain uh, in the St. Charles County area in just, you know, 10 hours, that is one in a thousand. So the probability is really low that that's going to happen. And it had never happened before. You know, we, we blew by a record. And, and the interesting thing is when you look at it, so the probability, they're, they're building the infrastructure on the one in the probability that something's going to happen once every 100 years. But those one in 100 year events are happening more frequently. And sometimes they're happening twice every 10 years or three times every 10 years. So I think it's a, a real consideration here, especially as urban sprawl continues to grow and, and, you know, you continue to expand urban areas and you get more concrete, you get more asphalt. Um, Our situation here a couple of weeks ago, we were in a drought uh, and the ground was extremely dry. What we know as meteorologists is when the ground is dry, it's hard. And when you get the heavy rains, they don't tend to sink in. It takes a while for the water to absorb. So you get more runoff. It's like the ground itself, even though it's it's a grassy field, that ground is rock solid. So normally the grass would absorb the water, slow the flow of water. The grass doesn't do that because the ground is so hard. The water just all runs off, goes straight into the creeks, goes straight into the streams, starts flooding them, backs up the storm drains, and you know you get major flooding. And that's a situation out west where the ground is so dry as well. You know, you're seeing the monsoon right now happening in Arizona and Las Vegas. And, and I, I find it interesting. I was noticing that Las Vegas has actually taken grass out. They're they're pulling the grass out of the medians in the streets. The water shortage out west, it's a serious thing. So they're trying to do the mitigation as much of it as they can. But out west, when you get the monsoon over drought-stricken areas where the ground is very dry, all that water tends to run off. So that running water, the draining water, and how we drain it, that's definitely something the engineering community does need to look at as we go forward. Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home. We're talking about climate change, and, and I don't want to take this in the direction of a political conversation because I know there's people who feel very strongly one side or another. I, I'm just kind of curious in your take because I remember growing up back in Nebraska in the in the 60s, it seemed like from Christmas on, we had very cold weather. We had snowy weather. There was always snow on the ground. 
Um, even when I came to St. Louis back in the 70s, it seemed like the winters were much different. Now it seems like everything is warming more. We have less snow. But then if you think, you know, even back decades ago to the Dust Bowl era. So I guess my question to you is, is a lot of this climate change cyclical or are we truly contributing to climate change? Or do you think it might be kind of a combination of both? Well, I think it is a combination of both, but you can't deny that we are contributing to it because you just look at the trends and the overall trends just since the Industrial Revolution started, and it it kind of becomes pretty apparent. Now, how much of that we're doing, how much of it is cyclical, the thing with climate change is you really can't say, oh, that event was directly caused by climate change or this storm was caused by climate change, or that hurricane did this because of climate change. You can't really pin it on one thing. But what you do is in the background, the way things are set in the background of the atmosphere, the way it's working, sets the stage for these things to happen. So while it may not be directly attributable to climate change, and some things are, some things really are. But while it may not be directly attributable to it, you have the background state of which these storms are forming changing. And that background or the the ingredients that you're working with are now changing a bit. And because of that, you're seeing more intense storms. Um, it's just kind of the background sets the stage for what happens Uh, as you go forward. You know, it's like being on a movie set. They set the background, they set the scenery. And if they change that, you know, it changes kind of what what you're going to see on TV, right? Or what you're going to see in the movie. So when the background of the atmosphere of its ingredients that are there is changed, then that provides the opportunity for some of these storms and some of these weather events and excessive heat waves. I mean, we've seen heat in Europe. You know, much of Europe doesn't have air conditioning and they've had intense heat this year again, and they have a lot of deaths associated with that. There's so many things that are happening that have never happened before. And, you know, we saw that on the West Coast last summer. Uh, with the intense heat. In Seattle, you know, you didn't need air conditioning 20, 30 years ago. No one thought about, yeah, we don't need air conditioning. We really don't need it. Well, then all of a sudden you're getting long stretches of hot weather because we find that the background pattern is conducive to slowing the jet stream down. So once you get stuck in a pattern, it tends to linger longer than it used to. I actually have a really random question. (laughs) So as someone who has legitimately been in love with weather for a really long time, I was noticing that the jet stream has shifted and you see some of the weather patterns kind of shifting north to south. Is that just because I am crazy or is that something that is legitimately happening? Do I get a vote here? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go with option A. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead, Scott. No, you're not crazy, Melody. The jet stream is shifting, but it's also slowing down some, and it's not as vibrant as it was. It's the whole patterns are slower to move. And of course, they're driven by the upper level winds. And that's part of the climate change. And, you know, really, those questions are above my pay grade, because there are so many PhDs that are working on these issues and and trying to figure out more about it and and I've had the privilege of speaking with a couple of them 
And it's very eye-opening, the things we're seeing uh, right now and how things are evolving. So you're not crazy. You know, the jet stream has shifted some. The patterns have shifted some. We've always had what we call cutoff lows, where the low will cut off and be a part of or disengage from the main jet stream. But now when that happens, it lingers for longer, or at least it seems to. That's that's my take on it. But I do think the researchers that are investigating these things would, would verify that for us. Um, but patterns get stuck more than they have been. And that leads to what you're seeing, prolonged heat waves in places or intense storms that continue over the same areas for several days. It's definitely changing. Where do we go from here? What's ahead? What do we look for, do you think, in in your opinion, over the next few decades? You know, and that's hard to say. I think some of it is going to be uh, determined by how we mitigate this, uh, how we adapt to it. I believe there is a saying that we can do mitigation, we can do adoption, and then if we fail to do those things, then they'll be suffering. And unfortunately, a lot of the suffering is in places where they have less resources than we have. So you're trying to eliminate the amount of suffering. So mitigation is the first thing. What can we do to mitigate it? And, you know, I think as we we try to make better choices and try to make more efficient vehicles, you know, and just reduce our carbon footprint in general. I mean, we live a great life in, in the United States. And with that comes the use of fossil fuels. We'll never be able to really get rid of, you know, using gas and, and diesel and oil. I mean, it's part of what we have. But I think anytime you can go to solar or wind or water power, you know, anything that's that helps the environment, you know, if it's good for the environment, even if, let me, let me tell you this. So if you're doing something that's good for the country or good for the environment, good for the way we live, and it benefits all of us from, you know, pollution or bad water or putting bad things in the soil, you know, if there's something we can do that makes you know, life better in general. And it has a bonus benefit of, hey, it's also helping with with climate change. Well, then why why aren't we going in on it? You know, we have to, you know, just think that even if climate change, we weren't doing anything, even if we're not part of it, if we're still making our earth better, that's a good thing, right? You know, over the next... 10 to 20 years, I think we're going to continue to see the trends we've had. And I think we have to be prepared for it. You know, before we had our heavy rain event, I was telling, you know, general advice, check your gutters, make sure the water's running away from your home. And sure enough, I get home and I had six inches of rain in six hours and my gutter overflows. So I had a little bit of water in the basement because of that. Um, Now I've got the gutter guards installed. They were in the garage. You know, they were on the gutter. So I got up there and took care of that. And, you know, and that'll, I'll bring this back in. One of the things I would say when you're building a home, think about your landscaping and think about the trees you're going to plant. So the house that I have has two silver maple trees on the side. 
And if you know anything about silver maple trees, you know those are the little helicopters that as children we just love to watch, but they also love to clog a gutter. So it's one of my least favorite trees, the Bradford pear being the first. <laughs> the silver maple is the second because not only is it putting down all this stuff that gets in your gutters, but it also has really invasive roots that can cause all kinds of problems. So think about your landscaping too, sloping things away from your house so the water runs away from your house and the type of trees you plant. You do want trees because you want shade. You know, you want some shade. It's all these things that you really don't think about that you should think about that you do start thinking about long after you've done it. Well, and I was wondering, um, I had heard something about tornado siren warning systems maybe going away in the future. Is there anything that we should be doing immediately? I guess, number one, is that true? And number two, what can we do like ourselves to prepare for some of this a little bit better moving down the road? Well, I think one of the things, you know, the tornado warning sirens probably won't go completely away, but they're not designed to warn you inside your home. They're designed for people that are outside doing whatever to be heard outside. So that's not, you know, if you're sitting in your house, that's not the, the method you should be getting your warnings. I would say one thing, don't turn off your government emergency alerts on your cell phone. Um, you want to keep those on because they will sound for any tornado warning and your phone, obviously you're thinking, you know, I'm traveling, I've got my phone on me. Well, your phone, if it gets into that polygon where there's a warning, it will go off. Okay. If there's a flash flood warning, it won't go off for the base flash flood warning, but like the flood war flash flood warnings we had in St. Louis uh, last month, once it gets to a, a certain threshold of considerable damage or a considerable threat level, then your cell phone will go off. Severe thunderstorm warnings won't go off on your cell phone for the first two levels. But if there's baseball size hail or 80 mile per hour winds where you wouldn't be necessarily safe, you know, even, you know, standing by your door, they're going to go off for that. And really the safety things apply, just get inside in the lowest level and stay away from windows and doors. Because if you have 80 mile per hour winds in a thunderstorm, you know, it doesn't have to be a tornado. That's still going to be knocking tree branches down, blowing all kinds of stuff around. And when it hits your windows, it hits the glass, breaks the glass, and you have problems. So, you know, the things we, we say to do, you know, our basic safety rules haven't changed. I think the one thing that probably is more important than ever before is to make sure you have 72 hours worth of supplies the basic supplies, like the big five-gallon bottles of water. You know, you get the water cooler jugs. You can pick those up. And I just set them in the basement. So we have we have water down there just in case we need water, if we lose water or if it gets contaminated for some reason. Um, so we have a water supply that will get us through three days. Help will come after three days after any disaster for sure. Hopefully sooner, but, you know, the standard method is you have stuff for three days just to cover you through until help can arrive if it's a really bad situation, because we never really know what we're going to get into. And usually help will arrive sooner. But, you know, the three days and most of us in our pantries, I mean, if you go look in your pantry, you have something to eat for three days. Now, I'm not saying 
you're going to have good food in there to eat for three days. You may be <laughs> eating canned green beans and, you know, baked beans and cold baked beans at that if you don't have power. But it's, you know, you, there's stuff in there in most of our pantries that'll get us through that 72-hour period. Scott Connell, Chief Meteorologist with KSDK-TV, the NBC affiliate in St. Louis. You have been a wonderful guest, excellent information. Melody and I are, uh, are, I should say, our unrepentant weather nerd, Melody and I, are (laughs) extremely happy that you joined us. Thank you so much, Scott. This has been a pleasure. You're certainly welcome and glad to be with you today. Wow, Melody, that was, the information Scott provided was unbelievable. And as we were talking to him right after the interview, he did mention that uh, one other area that homeowners should really pay attention to, whether during replacement or building a home or the garage doors, he said that's another vulnerable area and, and also recommends that paying attention to the quality of the garage door, even insulation on garage doors and things like that. See, and I, I would have never thought of that. I and know, so... but he's been through it. He experienced it. So yeah. we thought we were just going to have another weather nerd on, but he had great information for those building or remodeling a home. I mean, I was definitely sitting there rubbing my hands together with all this great information, though. (laughs) Yes, you were. A couple of takeaways. Number one is he says that he expects these weather trends that we find ourselves in now to continue for another 10 to 20 years. That's a little bit sobering because, as we all know, weather trends around the country and, quite frankly, around the world have been extremely severe of late. And we kind of beat the drum with indoor air quality a mm-hmm. lot, but I mean, we're, we are in high heat or extreme cold situations. I mean, that's where we take shelter and, mm-hmm. you know, having that indoor air quality, your HVAC system is a ventilation system as well. So exactly. it cycles things in and out. But um, one thing that he talked about was fires and that's so important having that indoor air quality that is of a higher caliber. Yeah. During a fire, you know, we even get the smoke here in the Midwest sometimes. Well, and that's one of the reasons where we, the reason we build a tighter home, whether it's fire or just normal allergens, we want to build a tighter home and control the air that's being brought into the home. So we use a lot of times what are called ERVs or HRVs with our system. That's an energy recovery ventilator or a heat recovery ventilator. And those are because we're building tighter homes, we need fresh air, we need to to exhaust the stale air, but we want to control that. And if we can build a tighter house for those situations and control the quality of the air, then the indoor air quality becomes that much more, you know, important for the people who are living there. Um, but Scott's right. We talked a little bit about water, you know, the importance of, of making sure that um, homes are protected against water, um, fire, wind, hail, snow. I know there's a saying in our industry that water is a builder's worst enemy, and it's absolutely true. And that's why I highly recommend that as you're thinking about building or remodeling, even if it's a production home or a custom home, that's the one thing that a builder can absolutely control, making sure you've got the proper, you know, moisture barriers, making sure the windows and the doors are flashed properly, making sure your siding has what they call kickout flashing, which means that at certain penetrations on a wall, you install flashing so it diverts the water away from the house and into the gutters. You know, Scott brought up the importance of landscaping, making sure that you plant the right trees. He's not big fans of silver maples or uh, pear trees, and I get why, but, you know, also making 
making sure that the builder does slope the grade away from the house. We're big proponents of, of making sure that you put extenders on your gutters. So you want to have, you want to run your downspouts at least 10 feet away from the house with pop-ups so water is flowing away. Um, sump buckets, I think they're very important in many parts of the country, most all parts of the country, because if you get water in the basement, you want to have a sump pump and a sump bucket that's going to get that water up and out. And think about putting a battery backup on that sump pump. Oh, yeah. So if, if you have a power outage, the actual battery component kicks in and will still operate the pump to get water up and out. Lots of things to think about. And that's why it's important to find the right builder partner and, and trust the builder partner that he's going to build you a, a really good and safe and efficient home. I have a quick question. Yeah. With a lot of the designs that we're doing today, it's, you know, big runs of windows, big pieces of glass. And one of the things that he mentioned, and it kind of, oh, light bulb, I want to stand next to the windows and see all of the, you know, really dramatic winds. But I mean, it could be a projectile coming. It doesn't have to necessarily be a tornado. And so... What do you think is the best way to approach, you know, you want to have those beautiful windows and so what do you do to stay safe? Great question. And I think a lot of it just simply depends upon the part of the country you're living in, what the the potential for storm or storm damage is. For example, Florida and along the Gulf Coast, we all know in the East Coast, it's, it's hurricanes. Right. So you have to have the protection. You know, if you're building a home or if you have a home, obviously you want to get the proper protection that you can board up and preferably use steel to cover your windows and doors in a storm. Um, Midwest, it's a little bit difficult because you never know when the tornadoes are going to come up. And I know that the advancement in glass really isn't there. So you just have to I, I guess just hope for the best and and do the best you can to protect yourself during a storm. Get to a safe place in the house. Think about maybe a safe room. We're doing a ton of safe rooms in both markets in which we build. It's right. easy to do. Work it in with the foundation construction. So that's another good point to remind everybody of as well that safe rooms in the home, think about them. Um, because I think that as the storms come through, just to have the peace of mind to know you have a place to go that's safe, that'll protect you, that gives you the proper air, the air quality and everything, I think is in, in communication tools are, are pretty key. So you're telling me to stomp down my Midwest instincts and not stand <laughs> on the front porch I am. when the sirens go off. And I well, don't know if I can handle that, Kim. That's because you're a weather nerd and I can't <laughs> help that. I know myself, I, 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 uh, I would always err on the side of going down into the basement and protecting myself. And, and I think you're smart enough, Melody, to understand when to do the same thing. Yes, I would hope. <laughs> and I didn't realize you were a trained weather spotter either. I am. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, when I say I'm a nerd, I'm serious oh, about man. it. So I, I don't know. I think we, we need to end the podcast on that note, except uh, I know you always have valuable resources on our show notes. So what, what do we have on this episode? We have a couple of checklists um, with the floods, especially here in St. Louis. I found a lot of really great information about what to do and what to check in your house. So I'm going to pull some of those resources together and put them in our show notes. Um, and then probably link to some of the, I know FEMA has some recovery checklists mm-hmm. that Matt had mentioned. And um, so Matt I'll link Belcher, to those. Matt Belcher, our guest number one. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, if you have questions though, or just want to make fun of me, you can call us. <laughs> you sure can. 314-266-9709. 266-9709. We do love hearing from our listeners because a lot of times they'll have really good questions that prompt good topics for us to discuss. So 
we certainly encourage the calls. We encourage everyone to rate and review. Lots of good information coming up in the days and weeks ahead. Thank you for listening to this particular podcast on preparing your home for extreme weather. We think it was very valuable. We hope you really learned something from it. We'll take the information and use it in your home, or if you're building a home, use that information as well. And we look forward to you joining us on our next episode of The Art of Custom. For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound with original music by Adam Frick-Ferdine. Thanks for listening.